Please remain standing for the scripture reading. It's going to be from Exodus chapter 3. So if you would please turn in your Bibles now. Exodus chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he, had, that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, as Robin said, my name is Tyler. I am the Director of Ministries here at Westminster, and I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And as we stand just a few hours from the year 2024 with whatever your expectations are of it, uh, whether fears or hopes or some mixture of the both, I hope that this sermon is a blessing to you this year because the sermon at its heart is about how to know more about Jesus and how to adore him more. And so that is my hope for you this year, above all. Let me open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, would you please now enlighten our minds and open our hearts that we would more clearly see your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all of your scriptures as you have always intended him to be seen, and so we might adore him more. In his name we pray, amen. Well, one of the most early and persistent heresies in church history is something called Marcionism. It's called that because of a man who lived around the year 100 named Marcion, and he believed there was a fundamental difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. You might have heard something like this before. Marcion believed that the God of the Old Testament was angry and wrathful, whereas the God of the New Testament was kind and gracious. Similarly, a criticism of, Jewish scholar, of, Jew, of Christianity by Jewish scholars has been and continues to be that the New Testament writers shoehorned Jesus into the Old Testament. They misused those texts as a way to find their Messiah where he wasn't, and uh, that they have corrupted the Hebrew Bible in a way that was never meant by the Old Testament authors. And one more final critique, a third critique. This is found in all places uh, in the TV show Gilmore Girls. My wife, Laurel, was watching uh, Gilmore Girls, and uh, she had to pause it and take a, a snapshot of the screen for me because she knew I would really enjoy this. And basically, one of the characters is playing Jesus in a play. And he said, someone asked him how his research for the role was going, and he said it wasn't going very well because he was reading the Bible from the beginning and Jesus still hadn't shown up. So, three critiques. One is that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament are different. 
Two, that the New Testament writers misuse the Old Testament to shoehorn Jesus back into it. And three, that Jesus doesn't become part of the biblical story until woefully late. All common criticisms and all of these, I believe, will be answered by our topic today. But perhaps you have tried to read through the Old Testament and felt some or all of these. Or maybe you've done the more Christian version, which is to say something like, Jesus is central to my faith, so why do I have to learn about leprosy? And by the way, there's a really cool connection between Jesus and leprosy, the leprosy laws in Leviticus, but that's for another sermon. Um, But I used to feel this way. I used to feel this way. It felt to me like the Old Testament was a story about an ancient people and their law and somehow not entirely clearly related to that was Jesus. A little bit, but not really. And then Jesus came along like a deus ex machina and really turned the story around so that it's relevant to us now. A good plan B, but a plan B nevertheless. And I think this is how much of the church reads the Old Testament today. The Old Testament is 75% of the Bible by length. By far and away, most of our sermons, however, come from the New Testament. We don't seem to want to tread into the Old Testament except for a few choice passages, perhaps some Psalms, some Proverbs. Um, But I think this is wrong, especially because I think the very thing that we like most about the New Testament, Jesus himself, is very present and very active throughout the Old Testament, if you know what you're looking for. And it's my belief that it's actually impossible to understand the Old Testament properly without seeing Jesus throughout it. He is the through line. So, for example, Luke 24 can say this, uh, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, Jesus is not an afterthought in the story. He is the story from beginning to end. And without him, the story of the Bible simply does not make sense. If you don't have a Christianity that leads fully to Jesus, you're doing something wrong. And it is my hope to show you some of the ways that Jesus is present and active throughout the Old Testament, perhaps even in passages that you're familiar with. So to that end, I'm actually going to be starting an occasional series, an occasional series of sermons on Jesus in the Old Testament. It's my favorite topic Uh, to to preach on. And I want to show you how Jesus has always been central to the plan of God and that the Old Testament is way cooler, way more interesting, and way more Christian than many Christians give it credit for. So it's my belief if you want to know Jesus more, you should read the Old Testament more. Today will be the first sermon in that series in Jesus in the Old Testament. And our topic today is the angel of the Lord, or we could say the angel of Yahweh. I agree with those scholars who believe that Jesus is, in fact, the angel of the Lord. And I'll make my case to you today and see what you think. Um, But from our topic today, we should see that the angel of the Lord is Yahweh embodied and that Jesus is the unique character known as the angel of the Lord. And this brings me to my first point. The angel of the Lord is Yahweh embodied. So our first passage might be a familiar one, and there's a chance, actually, though, that you might have seen some things for the first time that you've never seen before. So I'm going to reread our passage because it's brief, and I want you to listen carefully for anything unusual. 
So it says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Did you hear anything unusual in there? Well, briefly, just by way of context, Moses is 80 years old at this point, and people lived longer at this point in the Bible, and he is tending to the flock of his father-in-law because he's on the run from Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian man. So he's a fugitive, and this is the work he is doing in order to survive. He is walking his father-in-law's sheep through the wilderness, and a strange thing occurs. He sees a bush on fire, but it's not consumed. This is the famous burning bush scene, of course, which we are all probably familiar with. But I imagine there is one detail prior to now which you haven't paid much attention to. There's a person inside the burning bush. There's a person inside of the burning bush, and that person is called the angel of the Lord. So can we pause for just a moment? I remember when I realized this for the first time. I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard or read this passage, and I was floored that I never noticed that. Inside the bush, literally out of the midst of the bush, is the angel of the Lord. And more specifically, the angel of Yahweh. Yahweh is the proper name of the God of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but God actually has a name. And it's the difference between, the difference between saying God and Yahweh is the difference between saying mom and Meredith. My mom's name is Meredith. We'll see later down in verse 14, God says, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is God's proper name. So in English, I am, in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, ego eimi, that'll come up later, and in Hebrew, eye. And from this verb eye, which is I am, we get Yahweh, which is he is. The English translations usually translate Yahweh throughout the Old Testament as capital L-O-R-D. You might have seen that in your Bibles. Capital, all letters, L-O-R-D as opposed to capital L, lowercase o-r-d. When you see capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, that is God's proper name being translated as Lord, but actually it's Yahweh in Hebrew. So every time you see that, which is a lot, it comes up a lot in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh. So the God of the Bible has a name, and it's Yahweh. Okay, so back to the angel of Yahweh. Now we know what an angel is, or perhaps we think we do. Angels are God's messengers sent from heaven to earth, and the Bible actually says they simply look like men. Sorry, no women, no babies. Sorry, I think babies are cute. They're not angels. And they simply look like men and are regularly confused for men throughout the Bible. They also, ready for it, don't have wings. Nowhere in the Bible do angels have wings. So the Renaissance got them very wrong. So this angel of Yahweh is Yahweh's messenger to earth, specifically to Moses to get him to lead the oppressed people of Israel 
out of Egypt. And we might be tempted to think that this is just an, a, another angel of God sending, that God has sent to earth with a message, perhaps Michael or Gabriel, something like that. But when we pay attention, it becomes evident pretty quickly that this is no ordinary angel. This angel is unique. You see, the angel is the same as Yahweh himself. So in verse 2 of our passage, this angel of Yahweh is introduced. But then in verse 4, as, angel is tur- uh, as Moses is turn- uh, turned aside to look, it says, when Yahweh, Yahweh, remember capital L-O-R-D, when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see this great sight, God called to him out of the bush. Wait, who- who's in the bush? I thought it was the angel. So wait, now it's God or Yahweh? So verse 2 says it's an angel. Verse 4 says it's God who's in the bush. So what's going on here? Furthermore, this angel then says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is the angel speaking. That's a very inappropriate thing for an angel to say. And then finally, down in verse 15, while the same angel is still speaking to Moses, the angel says, say to this people, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. That's what Moses is supposed to say. So I trust you see the problem. The angel of Yahweh is called at different times in this passage an angel, Yahweh, and God. Even the New Testament recognizes this ambiguity. In the book of Acts, as Stephen uh, is about to be stoned by the Israelites, he recounts the story of Israel. And when he gets to this part about the burning bush, he says this, Acts chapter 7. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. So here's what's fascinating. This is not the only passage in the Old Testament that interchanges the angel, Yahweh, and God. There are actually at least no less than eight other passages that call the same character, the angel of Yahweh, both an angel, Yahweh, and God. And it's all starting to make it very clear that the angel of Yahweh is Yahweh. But the Bible also makes it very clear that there's something else amazing about this angel. The angel of Yahweh is also distinct from Yahweh. So the angel is the same as Yahweh, but also distinct from Yahweh. But wait, how can that be? Because what about passages that say God is one? So, for example, Jesus himself will say, uh, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So isn't that polytheism? There's a problem in the Bible, though, if you don't believe that the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh are distinct. If you don't believe that the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh are distinct, how can anyone look on the angel of Yahweh and live? So, for example, in Exodus 33, later in this book, Moses said to Yahweh, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, behold, there is a place by me where you you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, 
I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Okay, so that's Yahweh speaking to Moses, right? But then, a few verses earlier, in the same chapter, it says this. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and Yahweh would speak with Moses. Thus Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. How can both of those be true? How can Moses speak to Yahweh face to face and then be later told by Yahweh himself, you cannot see my face? That doesn't make sense unless the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh are distinct. The angel of Yahweh is both Yahweh and distinct from Yahweh at the same time. The angel of Yahweh is embodied, or we could say shrouded. You can't see disembodied Yahweh and live, but you can see the angel of Yahweh and live. In fact, if you're Moses, you can have prolonged conversations face to face with him as a man speaks to his friend. But I can hear you say, isn't God a spirit? How can God be embodied? God's essence is a spirit, yes, but the spirit can, that spirit can and does take on visible form from time to time throughout the Old Testament. In fact, he's often confused, like other angels, as a man. In fact, in the famous scene where Jacob wrestles with the angel, you know this one, it says this, listen close, an angel was, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Okay, so it's a man. But then a few verses later, it says this. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So he wrestled both with a man and with God in the same person. He didn't wrestle two people, but one. So the angel of the Lord is, the same, is at the same time equated with Yahweh and is also distinct from Yahweh. And all of this is still in the Old Testament. This is not later Christian theology. And this used to be common Jewish theology up until the time of Jesus when it quickly went away, which brings us to our second point today. Second point of two, Jesus is the angel of the Lord. When we come to the New Testament, a curious thing occurs. Whereas the angel of the Lord is mentioned throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, from Genesis through to Chronicles, in the Psalms, in the Prophets, he is not mentioned once in the New Testament. This character, the angel of Yahweh, is not mentioned once in the New Testament. And I believe we'll see why in our second passage, which was our scripture reading from today. I'll reread it. It's from John 8. Your, Jesus is speaking. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So by way of context, Jesus is having a dispute with the Pharisees about whether they are children of Abraham, which they believe they are. Jesus, however, in his typical style with the Pharisees, says very bluntly, in fact, no, you are the children of the devil. And he says this because their so-called father, Abraham, 
rejoiced that he would see Jesus day, whereas they do not. That's what makes someone a true child of Abraham, their faith in Jesus, not their biology. So the Jews then respond that 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 is an impossible claim because Jesus isn't even 50 years old. So how on earth could he say that Abraham looked forward to his day? Then Jesus hits them with the bomb and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And with that, the Pharisees pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because he is claiming that he is Yahweh. Jesus says, I am, in the Greek, ego eimi. If you remember what the angel of the Lord tells Moses his name is in Greek, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is ego eimi. There is no doubt what Jesus is doing. He's quoting Exodus 3, verse 14, and equating himself with Yahweh. And the Pharisees get the reference. But instead of being happy that Yahweh had come to them, they pick up stones to kill him. These were supposed to be the most pro-Yahweh people on the planet. But when Yahweh shows up in the flesh, amazingly, they try to destroy him. This is one of the dangers of reading the Old Testament without seeing Jesus as the, point, the whole point of it. You can read the Old, Test- Old Testament and emphasize the law above the Messiah. So when the Messiah shows up, you choose law instead of him like the Pharisees did. So Jesus says that he is Yahweh, but actually more to the point, Jesus is saying he's the angel of Yahweh. Jesus is actually quoting the angel of Yahweh from inside the burning bush, the form of embodied Yahweh. And this also makes other passages in the New Testament really come to life, doesn't it? In Mark 12, for example, when correcting the false beliefs of the Sadducees, Jesus says this, As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. That's what he tells the Sadducees. You are quite wrong. And here, what's interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus is quoting himself from the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament is quoting himself from the Old Testament. Incarnate Yahweh in the New Testament is, in quote, is quoting embodied Yahweh in the Old Testament. That's pretty mind-bending if you think about it. Pretty mind-bending. Interesting to quote yourself thousands of years later. And like the angel of the Lord, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is both Yahweh and distinct from Yahweh at the same time. This isn't some later church council or Christian theology or creed. This is the Old Testament, right from the first book of the Bible. The angel of Yahweh was God appearing like a human. Jesus is Yahweh become human. I'm hoping now that you can see one more way that Jesus is very present in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and seeing the relation of the two. Well, I have just two points of application for us as we conclude here. First, do you see just how awesome Jesus is? Do you see how awesome Jesus is? He is not different than the God of the Old Testament. He, as part of the Trinity, is the God of the Old Testament. He is not an idea that the New Testament writers somehow shoehorn back into the Old Testament. He is all over the Old Testament. He's not a late addition to the Bible. He is absolutely central to God's plan from the beginning. He is no plan B. 
The whole biblical story hinges on, leads to, and finds its purpose only in him. And he is right there from page one. But for now, know that Jesus is very present and very active in the Old Testament, and if you know what you're looking for. But sadly, I feel the church has not fully understood these things throughout much of its history, causing it to miss roughly 75% of the Bible. So if you understand how, how Jesus is driving the story, the Old Testament no longer becomes a burden, but a joy. Once you see that Jesus is central to God's story, it's worth asking, is he central to your story? Is he central to your story? Does your life only make sense to others if Jesus is the central theme of your story? It's what it, excuse me, sorry. It is what makes, what, what about this makes Jesus either accord or out of accord with your own story? What are the ways your life tells a different story than Jesus at its core? Something for us to reflect on in 2024. And our second point of application, second to that, we want to be a reading community at Westminster. We want to be careful readers of the Bible at that. Not just at Westminster, but at every church. How many times do you think that you've read through the burning bush and missed the angel of the Lord? We should be careful, careful readers of God's word. And yes, at times, the Bible can be hard to understand. And it can take a lifetime to understand certain things. But I will argue that I think that this is a feature not a bug. This is a feature of the Bible. The Bible is meditation literature, even the New Testament. Perhaps to your frustration, it will leave details out in confusing passages, while at other times, it will give you way too many details. Why on earth would God do that to us? Why wouldn't God just be clear with us? It's because he wants us to reflect on it for a lifetime. We will never plumb the depths of the Bible in our life. Otherwise, he just would have given us a pamphlet. He could have done that. And there's a reason he didn't. Perhaps you feel that the Bible is too much material to read. To that, I'd say you don't have to read through the Bible in a year. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to read it in a year. If that's your practice, that's great. I think that's fantastic. But if that's too much for you, especially starting out, it's okay to go slower. Personally, here's what I do. I read a chapter before bed and when I wake up. And that's about once through the Bible every two years. But you can go slower than that. There are some people who say that they don't have time to read the Bible at all. To that point, I will just say that we tend to make time for the things we prioritize. We tend to make time for the things we prioritize. So I have to ask you, are you reading God's word for yourself? If not, what's keeping you from hearing God's voice to you daily? Don't be concerned if there are things that you aren't getting right away. It's okay to have questions. It's okay even to have doubts. Ask a friend or someone in leadership here to help you understand something if you don't. That's what we're here for. And today, December 31st, is arguably the best day to consider how you can read the Bible more this year. The purpose of reading the Bible is to walk more closely with God and to adore him more. It's a love letter written to you from a God that loves you. May we all be careful readers of it to God's glory. Let us pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is a true gift. It is a light to our path in this world. It is a way to draw us closer to you. We thank you for it. Help us to have minds of understanding. Give us hearts 
that long to understand it. Give us your Holy Spirit that we might understand it. And give us friends that we might talk about it, Bible studies, groups, one-on-one, just as friends. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with this church this year. Help us to see Jesus more. Help us to adore him more and to get to know our Savior better in 2024. We pray this in his name. Amen.